Um, well, hello. Hello. We're back again. Cheers, dears. I think I'm going to say that from now on. I said it earlier and I fell in love with it. So, um, this is, this is great. It's been only a whole month since I've seen her. Four total weeks. Since your birthday. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of her birthday, if you guys saw on um, Instagram, we were at the live show of And That's Why We Drink. Um, her hoodie glows in the dark. Mine just has their cool metal on it. Um, but that was a great show. It was awesome. It was so much fun. So, you'll have to go look up And That's Why We Drink or ATWWD on Instagram and see like their their listings, not all their shows are sold out, but if you have never listened to their podcast, go check it out. It's actually the podcast that inspired our podcast. So thank you, Emma and Christine, uh, for making a great podcast for us to um, help to achieve that level of success someday. So yes, not that they'll ever see this, but if you did, tag, tag them. They, I mean, they did, they did share our they did. story. They did. We tagged it in our story that we were going and they reshared it on their page. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And I was like, they could die happy. Just the down. It's small, small things. Little joys. Yeah. The little joys in life. So it was a fabulous show. If you're a fan of theirs, it's worth it. And the tickets are like 40 bucks. So like really cheap. It's a really good time. Yep. So we'll jump into ours. Um, we'll say hello to all of our, our patients first. So if you want to skip ahead like 20, 30 seconds, go for it. But hello to everybody in the United States, the United Kingdom, India, Australia, Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Belgium, Canada, Italy, Germany, Sweden, El Salvador, Nigeria, Portugal, Albania, Cuba, Spain, Iran, Mexico, Norway, the Philippines. Hello, Poland. Welcome to the psych board. We're happy to have you in Africa and everybody in between. So welcome to the show and let's just jump right into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Ah, so I had to like double check and make sure that Darcy has not already done this. This is completely up her alley. Also, before we completely begin, though, we do want to apologize. I know sometimes our audio is kind of shit. And let's be honest, it's when we're at my place here. So my temporary home right now, uh, let's be honest, it's just very echoey. And we have struggled for the last 30 minutes actually trying to figure out how we're going to go about doing this. So that's not so shit because we know it is shit. So bear with us, you guys. I do apologize. We think we have a system down. We just can't do it quite today. But going forward, after we record today, we will be better. We are getting there. Yeah, we have to order a piece of equipment. Yes. So yes. we're learning. If you know of any um, apps or uh, sites or sources or programs or things that you feel have can reduce echo, uh, let us know. Because we could always use reduced echo. But otherwise, we'll figure it out. Yep. Um, Anywho. All right. Now to the good start. All right. So. I'm going to tell you guys about Ronald Feo Jr. So, of course, this man is a murderer. So, I want to ask you, Darcy, what popular movie do you think he helped inspire, his story inspire? He's a murderer. Yes. I'll give you a, like, a little bit of a hint because I know it's very broad. Um, it involves demon possession and killing his family. Oh, uh, the Amityville House. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. So this is going to be the true story behind the Amityville House. Fuck yes. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ready. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, the Amityville Horror is like one of those cult classic horror movies. Um, please go watch it if you have it. It's amazing. Um, so this is the story of there is a real house in Amityville. And sure here. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> This is going to be the story of, like, the murders that actually took place. Um, so I'm going to tell you initially about the actual event itself. So in the early, very, very early morning hours of November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his entire family, which included his father, Ronald DeFeo Sr., who was 43, his mother, Louise DeFeo, who was also 43, and his four younger siblings, Don, who was 18, Allison, who was 13, Mark was 12, and John Matthew, who was 9. Um, and his weapon of choice was a 35 caliber Marlin rifle. So, pretty brutal already. It, I will warn you guys, it does get a little dark. Um, I will get into some of the actual details. Um, so, just keep that in mind. 
Um, I do want to start out by telling you guys a little bit about the family. Um, on the outside of the Bayo family appeared to be your average happy white family living in a somewhat up-to-do um, area of Long Island, uh, which is also known as Amityville. I guess it's kind of like the suburb or neighborhood. Um, and neighbors often refer to them as the nice, normal family. Um, their Dutch colonial home had a swimming pool, a nearby boat dock. It included hand-painted portraits of the family hanging on the walls. So, seems, seems fancy. Very classic white suburbia. Swat white suburbia, yep. Now, Ronald DeFeo Sr., he managed an auto dealership, which I believe was like a Buick dealership back then. Um, while it was a good job, it didn't really add up income-wise for what they had. So, you know, so I know some people speculated about that, but when it comes down to it, the reason why they had what they had was actually because of Louise. Um, it was her family. So her father's name was Michael Berganti, which, I mean, Berganti. Berganti. Already sounds fancy. So, I mean, you know they have money then. So. Tomato sauce. <laughs> uh, he purchased the family's home and even forked out like a whopping $50,000 back then to have like all these portraits painted of the family. And when, what time? I'm sorry. 70s? 70s. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean $50,000. That's a big chunk of change. For like paintings is a lot nowadays anyway. So. Yeah. Back then, like that's a lot. So really with all the wealth and luxury, we, we're going to call Senior, Big Ronnie Senior, or very little of it, basically himself. Evil Big Ronnie. Big Ronnie. Big. Um, and Ronald DeBeo Senior, Big Ronnie, definitely knew how to play the part of a good neighbor. So like there were some stories out there about like one local girl telling everybody about how he was always so kind. He would like pick her up as she was like walking over to her family's restaurant, which, which I guess was in Brooklyn. He'd be like, "Hey, I'll give you a ride." Just a good guy, not in a creepy way, though. You know, not gonna you know pick up a random stranger girl and drive her places. You know, but genuinely just dropped her off at her family's restaurant. And then they even had another neighbor would, that commented that you know they made it a point to make friends with her and befriend her after her husband had tragically passed away. So everybody was just oh. like, "They're a good family," you know. But like all stories. It's not what it appears on the inside as on the outside. Mm -hmm. So the inside home life was very, very different. Um, so now digging into Ronald DeFeo Jr. growing up. So unfortunately, Big Ronnie Sr. was reportedly an abusive and violent man, of course. Womp womp. Friendly neighbor, not so friendly father. Not the not so friendly father. Um, but and who else but to target his rage at but his firstborn? Ronnie Jr. Lee. Yep. So at this point, I'll just to kind of, because I know they have the same names, I'll refer to Ronald Jr. as Butch, because that was actually his nickname. Okay. So Butch. So Butch and Big Ronnie really struggled to find common ground as he was growing up. And um, I know one of the biggest ways that they tried to find peace amongst each other, which was not a healthy way, was Big Ronnie Sr. would basically essentially just give Butch anything and everything he wanted. Just, you know, I, they reported that he, even when he was like only 14 or 15, his dad went and bought him a speedboat just because he wanted it. So buying his love, basically, yeah. Sure. Buying his love and peace in the household, you know, which can only go so far because that's really, you know, they're still going to have their explosive episodes. But And, and unfortunately, Bush um, was also bullied a lot as a kid. So especially in his younger years, I guess, like his preteen and like early teen years, because of his weight, he was more on the chubby side. He, you know, adopted some of these very awful nicknames such as Pork Chop and the Blob. Sad. I mean, there was a movie called Blobs. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that, did that come around? Is that an old, old movie like that? It, it got remade. It's been made a few times, but I think it originated like the 40s. Oh, so we asked Bobby from, from the movie then. So luckily, but, you know, also not so luckily, Butch did manage to lose a lot of weight by the time he started to get into his later teenage years. Thanks to um, his good old new coping mechanisms of amphetamines and alcohol. Oh, I was using cocaine. Damn it. Yep. So definitely not the best choices, but, you know, it made him lose weight. So you're telling me that a rich kid who has an abusive father who solves all of his problems by throwing money and stuff at his side, would develop a drinking and a drug problem? Shocking, I know. Yeah. 
So shocking. That's actually really sad. That's, I know it, it is sad, you know. That's why I hate bullies a lot too, because I know that play, probably played a big, big part. Mm-hmm. Um, so one story it circulates to you about how there was a heated argument when um, Butch was younger between him and, of course, his dad, Ronnie Sr., where he actually loaded a 12-gauge shotgun that they had in the house, literally pointed it at his father, pulled the trigger even, but it didn't fire. Oh, God. It was one of those moments where it was like, everybody in the household was there. They were just staring at this take place. All of a sudden, by the grace of God, this gun doesn't fire off. And it's like it doesn't even click in Butch's head, and he's like, he just lowers the gun and just walks away. Not like even acknowledging the fact like I almost killed my own father. Okay. And like so warning signs, red flags. But kind of come back from that though. Like what we're all saying like so he was just having a moment. Nobody got hurt. It's okay. Yeah. I see I and I expected his dad to like grab the gun and just like beat him in the face with it. Surprised that that didn't happen. I'm sure his dad was also like shitting at pants though, because yeah, he's like he probably peed a little. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's staring down the barrel of his own gun being pointed at him by his own son. Like, what? But anyways, I mean, if there's ever a red flag, that is a red flag. Um, So fast forward to, unfortunately, I'm going to kind of skip through a bunch of his childhood and stuff here because it's just the same sad story over and over and over again. Um, We're going to fast forward to the actual murder night itself. Um. So, of course, we can only really guess, too. I, mean, I, I know there was a story out there about how the fight originally happened because Butch had stolen some money, shocker, you know, from the family. But there was a fight that night, um, and this unfortunately led to the final straw snapping in Butch and leading him to make the de- like devastating choice to murder his entire family. So that night, all the members of the DeBeau family were found lying face down both parents were shot twice and each child was shot once. So that's a total of eight shots. So keep that in mind, you guys. Eight shots total. Um, so I'll, th- I'll just get into the gory stuff here really quick and then we'll kind of move on from that. So I, this is how it happened. And I think it, it's important to explain because I think there it was... Now, of course, it's wrong to shoot your family, but what I still can't grasp to this day is, is why the siblings, too, and how Butch went about doing it, none of these were clean shots. None of them. So Ronald Sr. was shot twice in the back. And Louis feel bad for him? No, but Louise, his mother, obviously waking up from her husband being shot, was then shot twice as well. The bullets would shatter her rib cage and collapse her right lung. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Butch would then make his way to his two younger brothers' room, where he then pulled the trigger as they still slept. These were also unclean shots. Luckily, Mark did lay motionless from his. However, the youngest, John, who was only nine, it's just, it makes me cringe, was shot in his spinal cord, causing his young body to twitch spastically for quite some time. Then finally, Butch makes his way to his sister's rooms, who ironically were both still asleep too. Um, Allison did manage to wake up right before Butch did pull the trigger, but he also shot her in the face in so doing. Um, Don, who was also in the same room really close to that, was then quickly shot in the head, blowing the whole left side of her face off. Jesus Christ. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Mental pictures I know are awful, but... Just to put it in perspective, it's not like, you know, these were executions. They weren't. They were not execution-style killings by any means. Because most of them, they said it, it wasn't like an instantaneous death. So, and these were his family members, his own blood. Anyways, now this is where it starts to get a little bit strange. That's already obviously strange enough as is like killing your whole family. But it's like the whole aftermath. Too. We always like to talk about the aftermath of the actual event itself. Um, so shortly after those hours, so I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but this was in the very early morning hours. So they were speculating the time frame, time frame, sorry, to be around 3 a.m. that it actually occurred. Um, so Butch then decides after mm, it's all done, my family's dead. I'm going to go ahead and take a shower and get cleaned up. Sounds all right. 
Um, he gathered as much incriminating evidence as he could. Obviously, his clothes were covered in blood. The rifle itself and bagged it all up, basically. Um, on his way to work, he actually decided he was going to go into work, too. He proceeded to throw all the incriminating evidence down a storm drain, and I believe it was Brooklyn. No, it's from Des. Yep. Because that just screams, I didn't actually mean to do this, you know, it's a fit of rage kind of thing. No, this was very much, in my mind, premeditated. Disposing of evidence and all that fun dress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're not in your right mind, that's not something that you're really going to think about. I think, in my opinion, but, you know. Wait, tell me nothing about him seeing to see it wasn't in this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, he goes into work, which, guess where he works? The one place, um, the restaurant? Nope, he works at the car dealership that his nope, dad owns. the car dealership. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, um... He works for his dad, which, you know, obviously was a cush job for him, too. Like, he just had it so easy like, in his life. Parents gave him everything. He had a job through his dad where he can literally just show up whenever he pleased and left whenever he really wanted to. And somehow still got paid. So he shows up to work. And, of course, his co-workers were like, where's, uh, where's your dad at? Like, he was supposed to come into work this morning. And basically, Butch just plays completely, like, dumbfounded. Like, oh, I have no idea. Like, I don't know. I really... I, you're telling me he's not here? Like, kind of, like, just playing dumb, really. Um, So he always stays for a little while because he's like, eh, I don't really want to be here. He decides to leave early, go hang out with some friends. I guess he takes one of his girlfriends out and goes shopping. All of this in my head as I'm, like, researching it and reading it. I'm like, okay, he's really trying to create alibis. Mm-hmm. See as many people as possible. And some of his friends were even commenting, too, that it was kind of strange how he had actually brought it up to them, how he couldn't get a hold of his family. And he thought it was really strange, almost like making it a point to be like showing concern. Right. Going above and beyond act out of character. Right. So it's like, if you were that concerned about what, like what was happening to your family, why didn't you just go home to see if they were at home? That, I don't know. I mean, of course, this is before cell phone days, but it's like, just go home then and check the fucking house <laughs> um but of course he knew what was going to be at the house uh-huh. um so then evening comes and he kind of makes this decision about how he's going to go about breaking the news and to me this is just kind of comical because he decided that what he was going to do was he's going to run into one of the local bars and frantically start screaming out that his whole family was murdered and they're all dead and that he needs help i mean put on a show not, like, not call 911 from the house maybe it's just me and i know i'm like i'm not the best person out there but i like somebody if i'm drinking if i'm having a nice beverage at a bar a nice adult beverage at a bar and somebody comes running in that their whole family's murdered and dead i'm gonna be like oh sorry i didn't take their bills today that makes no sense like a logical person and i get it now, I understand he's not logical, but the persona he's trying to emit is would dictate he calls the police or if he doesn't think about that, you run to the nearest house. Like, you don't run to the local bar down the street. I mean, have a giant, unless he's like, I need a shot first before I say this. Like, I need liquid courage or whatever. He says shot and starts crying because his parents are shot. Like, yeah, but no, it, does, it really doesn't make sense does um so oddly enough though some of these bar goers were actually they felt bad for him and they're like okay well let's go we'll follow him and we'll follow him back to his house and see what what the deal is because they actually believed him which i was like wow does no one know how to call him uh we'll get later nope that was 1969 continue <laughs> i was trying to remember i was like in a previous episode i said when 911 was invented yeah i think i'm not sure continue i'm saying so like i said these bar goers do follow him back to his house and when they get there they're obviously completely shocked and horrified what he said was completely true his family is completely dead like all of them um now i told darcy too when i was doing my research i was like i have to include this 911 call because it just made me giggle so bear with me you guys i am gonna read it off and if you get lost i do apologize i'm gonna do the best i can um this is literally just a, a 911 transcript here but the struggle 
of this whole transcript is what really just made me laugh. If we can find the audio, that just confirms that 911. If we can find the audio, we'll insert it here. Yes. Recording in progress. There she is. There's the bitch. There's the bitch. Would you like to, ex would you like to explain what we're doing? Yes, I'll explain. So you'll see that there is a break in our podcast because after reading the 911 call that I'm about to read to you guys again, it dawned on us, actually the pair of us, that it would be a great opportunity for us to both test our lovely acting skills. So I will be playing the part of the man, because this is literally just a transcript, you guys, that is the bar goer. Um, and Darcy here will be playing the part of the operator and you'll soon see shortly into it, they will, there will be a break and she'll have to switch her role just once. So bear with us, but it honestly will probably make a whole lot more sense with just not just me reading off the transcript, but both her and I, so you can kind of tell the difference between this whole utterly ridiculous conversation. Let's be honest, it's going to be so much funnier. It, it should, it hopefully it's will be. be so much funnier. Yes, that, that is our goal. Okay, so we are starting out by, like I said, the bar goer gets to the house of the DeFeos, sees all the bodies, and then makes the wise decision to call 911. So we will start off with Darcy, who is operator. And scene. This is Suffolk County Police. May I help you? We have a shooting here. Um, DeFeo. Sir, what is your name? Joey Yeswit. Can you spell that? Yeah. Y-E-S-W-I-T. Y-E-S. Y-E-S-W-I-T. W-I-T. Your phone number. I don't even know if it's here. Um, there's a, I don't have a phone number here. Okay. Where are you calling from? It's in Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and it's right off um, Ocean Avenue in Amityville. Austin? Ocean Avenue? What the? Ocean Avenue off of where? It's right off Merrick Road, Ocean Avenue. Merrick Road. What's, uh, what's the problem, sir? It's a shooting. There's a shooting. Anybody hurt? Huh? Anybody hurt? Yeah, it's, uh, everybody's dead. What do you mean everybody's dead? I don't know what happened. Kid come running into the bar. He says everybody in the family was killed and we came down here. H hold on a second, sir. Now the police officer takes over the call. Hello? Hello? What's your name? My name is Joe Yeswit. George Edwards. Joe Yeswit. How do you spell that? What? I just, how many times do I have to tell you? Y-E-S-W-I-T. Where are you at? I'm on Ocean Avenue. What number? I don't have a number here. There is no number on the phone. What number on the house? I don't even know that. Where are you at? Ocean Avenue and what? In Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and have someone come down here. They know the family. Amityville. Yeah, Amityville. Okay, now tell me what's wrong. I don't know. Guy come running into the bar. Guy comes running into the bar and said there his mother, father are shot. We ran down to the house and everybody in the house is shot. I don't know how long, you know, so, uh. Uh, what's the, uh, what's the address of the house? Uh, hold on. Let me go look at the number. All right, hold on. It's 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. Is that Amityville or North Amityville? Amityville, right on South Merrick Road. Is that right in the village limits? Yes, it's in the village limits. Yeah. Eh, okay. What's your phone number? I don't even have one. There's no number on the phone. All right. Where are you calling from? Public phone? No, I'm calling from right inside the house because I don't see a number on the phone. You're at the house itself. Yeah. How many bodies are there? I think, um, I don't know. Um, he said like four. There's four. Yeah. All right. You stay right there at the house and I'll call the Amity Village PD and they'll come down. End scene. 
Um, I'm really good at just doing Southern people. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is actually in New York. So yeah, but they didn't call the New York people. They just called 911. So that it could have been Georgia for all we know. Clearly they had no idea Amityville or the general location of this occurrence because they struggled, struggled hard. Maybe we should leave the, uh, the transcript in the description the the show notes so people can send in their own. You don't think it's gonna be too long? Yeah, you could do little clips of it. Uh, okay, maybe. Yeah, we'll think about it. We'll think of a way. I'll probably cut that out. It's fine. Because it's quite long. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, bye. Oh my god, that was such painful. It was so painful to go through. I'm sorry, you guys, but I just. As you can tell, it was just, I hope that comes across in the audio as much as when I was reading it, because it was just, I mean, put it into perspective, like if you're a younger listener, back in the 70s, I mean, we all know, you know, as being millennials that we are, phones, you didn't have, there was no screen on the phone. It was just numbers. So just the numbers. So unless you knew the phone number that you were calling from, that's the only way you know, unless it's written down somewhere. So I guess a lot of times, like back in the day too, and I remember, I think my my parents even had this on one of our old phones, is that you would literally put like this, almost like a like a label maker sticker on the back of it with the mm-hmm. phone number in case you forgot or whatever. Or in this case, you know, this poor man is trying to just call 911, which apparently is a lot harder back then than it just ends nowadays. Like, I don't even have a phone number. <laughs> And the poor man, of course, didn't know the address that he was at because he literally doesn't live there. So he's just like there for support and calling 911 because this whole family dead. But you know what? Like, kudos to him for just like being patient through that. Like, I'm sure he was angry, but he was just like, I'm just hang up and be like, let me just put the kid, the kid on or whatever. I mean, whatever. I say he's a kid, but I don't know how old he was. 23. Okay. He's still a kid. Yeah. Still a good kid. Uh, but anyways, so through that struggle, the police department finally show up. So when they show up, of course, Butch is playing the whole in shock. You know, his whole family's dead. Oh, my God. Um, and of course, what does he blame at first? But the mob. The mob did it. They killed his whole family. So oddly enough, though, the police were like, okay, well, we got to protect you then. You know, you're part of the family. Somehow you must have been out and about when this happened. So that's probably why you're not dead, but let's let's protect you too. So ironically, he gets, gets taken back to the police station and actually just for his protection, because they thought that it was gonna he was the one left over from the mob hit, you know, and that he was still gonna be a target. Soon enough, though, luckily forensics was far enough in advance at this point that when the bodies were examined a little bit closer, things just weren't adding up. So the timeline itself, they were able to fairly quickly paying, you know, the time of death being more in the wee hours of the early morning being like 2 to 3 a.m. So then the officers were like, wait a minute. He would have been home then. So why isn't he dead? So then finally their synapses just start firing off and like connecting. And they're like, oh, wait, maybe we should ask him if he did it. Because maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't the mob. They didn't do everything, you know. So, like I said, Butch really tried to create alibis. He even had a name somehow, like, I guess, like a mob hitman back then. But unfortunately, he really didn't research too well because this mob hitman guy was um, already on a police radar. So they actually knew that this guy wasn't even in the town at the time. They're like, yeah, no, he's in a completely different state. What are the odds? Because I guess he's already under surveillance, of course. So that definitely clearly was a lie. And they knew that. So then with all these things popping up, they're like, okay, we really need to start questioning him more. So through the questioning, it only took until the next day that Butch finally was like, yes, I, 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 I murdered my entire family. But it was. Yeah. I can kill my entire family, but this interrogation is too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the investigators, they probably did try to get into the mind of Butch. There is a lot to that I could have presented to you guys, which I mean, it's just a lot about because they recorded everything, like the conversations and stuff I had in the questions and stuff that they were asking him to really try to get into his mind as to why. And I I did pull one. It was like, according to transcripts, uh, when referring to the act of the murder, Butch would say, 
I don't remember being glad. I remember feeling very good. Good. So that's, that's just not as a normal thought process of a normal human being. When talking about murdering your whole family, like, you just felt good? I don't know. It just meh. gives me the creeps. So now moving on to the trial. So now, I mean, obviously he's been kept in jail this entire time. Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s, or Butch, his trial began October of 1975. And really, this is where Amityville Horror comes to light. So it captured the attention of the media for two reasons. Number one, of course, being the sheer brutality of it. You know, of course, they explained in detail about what happened and the family and how they were found. And number two was almost immediately Butch's lawyer um, built this insanity claim that Butch had actually had been possessed by a demon and he was, he actually killed his family in self-defense due to demonic voices in his head. So, of course, you know, the media goes bananas over that. So he killed his entire family in self-defense against the demons in his head, which, what, is like, kill your entire family or we will hurt you? I think it was more or less like the demons in his head, maybe like the way I see it is like, maybe they were playing tricks on his mind in the sense that they were portraying his family as like these evil people, like maybe that they were demons themselves too and that he had to eradicate them, you know? Okay. Deal. Okay, that's where I kind of went with it. And I was like, you know, maybe that makes more sense than mine. <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, this, it's like having that evil blackness in your brain telling you like that person's bad, you know, mm-hmm. like that paranoia. I guess that's the word I was looking for is that paranoia. Everybody's after you. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, like I said, they really did try to sell that. But unfortunately, my opinion is that he may have had, Butch may have had his own demon, but I think that night his true demon was drugs and alcohol because i mean those were his known habits so that is a demon you know for a lot of people and i think that was his you know it's not truly like your demon demon possession that needs like an exorcism or whatever psa yes um anyways so the trial in total would last only about six weeks and in the end ronald defeo jr would be convicted of all six murders and received 20 consecutive 25 years to life sentences for each and um actually just fairly recently here ronald DeBeo jr or butch did die behind bars in actually 2021 so oh wow very recent at the age of 69 so this is where i want to get into like my questions is really is why you know we all know that he had a beef with his dad, clearly. But why his mom and why his four younger siblings? What would you think would be the reason as to why? Well, I think I would need a little more info. So I'd be a serious teacher. Um, I think I would need more info on like the relationship he had with each member and how he saw them in this. Like, was he the only one being abused by his dad? Was he also, I mean, he was also being bullied. Like, were any, did any of his, was he the only one? Like, if he was the only one being abused by his dad, there can become, there can be some resentments there of like, why me and not them? Um, he could have, he could harbor resentment towards his mother for letting it happen and not stepping in to protect him. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you letting him hurt me? Um, if, you know, it, it could be, a, it could be a culmination of things. It could be, uh, his siblings also maybe bullied him or he could also feel that everybody nobody understands him and that he's alone in the world like he doesn't he's not safe at school he's not safe at home because there's no one to protect him so he recedes into his own psyche Mm -hmm. and as most we see with a lot of serial killers there is this element of like i'm isolated i've been isolated out of my home i've been isolated out of my personal life I don't have anybody but myself and the thoughts that are in my head, which a lot of times can get really dark, which is where do I think that he was actually possessed by a demon? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he was still a kid. I mean, he was still a kid when he started drinking and drugging. 
So that probably had a huge impact on his mental state. He probably fervored all of his rage internally, which festered with that. And it's just like this bad set of, you know, this bad pot of stew coming together and about to boil over and a sense blinded by rage. I mean, he started with his dad and he went down the list. Yeah. I think that was, I mean, you could say like, well, his mom was right there too, but I think it's like he went from dad to mom to brothers and then to sisters. So yeah, I think there's a big mixing cut of things. There's a lot of information I don't have that could bleed into that, but I think that's really where it came from. Or that's what I'm saying. I need more info. Cause like if he's always had some kind of temperament issues, like we talked about the one instance where he pulled a gun on his dad, the mm-hmm. dad angle we get, we get why he would pull a gun on his dad mm-hmm. and then he would retreat because it failed. But it's a, it's a, a moment like that, that usually catalysts to the next big moment. Yeah. Right. And we see that in a few instances with serial killers where they're like, I tried to do it and the gun failed or a thing fell or the person didn't show up. And I was like, oh my God, I almost did the thing. Yeah. So there could be a culmination of things. But I think with the information I'm provided, that's that's the angle I'm going with. Yeah. There is a lot more too, but I think a lot... It, it is what it appears to be. So a part of me wonders too, of like the whole siblings and stuff. And like, even like the mom, like what you were saying too, like I completely agree with maybe he saw as like, she needed to stick up for him more, you know, or he, she didn't stand up for, or say against like his dad, you know, when all that beatings and stuff or the abuse or the, the violence was happening. Cause they, they were known against some fist fights too. Um, but when it comes down to the siblings, the siblings is a tough one because there was, um, he did try to basically argue his sentencing at one point. I will point out Butch did. I believe it was sometime after. And he tried to bring up the story, which really didn't make any sense, that he didn't do these murders alone and that his, I think either one or two sisters and a friend or a friend and two sisters, or no, a sister and her two friends, sorry, because, um, were his accomplices. And I'm like, then why wasn't she dead? And where are these friends at? Because I'm pretty sure they probably would have said something. Right. Um. So I don't know. And for the siblings, it may be too. Like, I don't know if you brought this up. I don't think you did. Whereas like, since he was such the target and stuff like that, maybe he held resentment towards them for being like the good kids. You know what I mean? Or like the mm-hmm. ones that never got, yeah, the ones that never got punished for anything, you know, that maybe he saw as more being spoiled, even though he was too, obviously. But another angle we didn't consider, which I just thought of, was maybe it was like a, a savior complex of like, well, mom and dad are dead. Like, I'm putting them out of their misery or I have to kill them too. Otherwise, like, you know, and again, he didn't kill his siblings first. So this one doesn't make as much sense, but it's also the sense of like, when people decide, like, oh, I have to kill them because if I leave them, he'll start to beat the next one or whatever. Like, there could be, like, some little bit of, I'm doing you a favor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, that was just one of my biggest questions, too, you know. Um, another one being, like, I don't know if you caught on to this, too, but it's like, how did all those gunshots go off? I want to know. And not wake anybody up. That's eight total rifle shots so there was some speculation that he actually had rubbed his family prior to them going to bed so maybe but then i didn't see anything in my research now if you guys do please comment or anything like that if you research it and see anywhere that there was confirmed like drugging involved they did autopsies i just don't know with the autopsies back then how much they were able to truly test Versus now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the only thing that logically makes sense. I mean, to me, if not, then that's the only thing that's really supernatural about it. Because also, it's like, this is like a pretty well-to-do neighborhood. If they're hearing eight gunshots go off, why wasn't anybody called? You know, I get it if you're in like, obviously, like New York City itself or even Brooklyn, places where you're hearing gunshots all the time. You know, you always hear about that mentality of like, I didn't see it, so I don't know, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, I didn't I didn't lay witness to it, so I'm just not going to say anything at all. Right. You know, we see that so often, but it's like, 
I wouldn't imagine this being a neighborhood where, you know, you commonly hear gunshots go off, let alone eight. So it's like, that was weird. And he wasn't using any kind of silencer on the rifle. I did see that in research. There was no silencer. Of any, like, it's almost like, does everybody just like, okay, whatever. It's just some eight gunshots. It's fine. <laughs> and then also, I mean, I mean, now, like I said, my guess is he's probably pretty drunk or on drugs or both. But he just wasn't really smart about it. And I know this is terrible for me to say, but it's like, if you come from a well-to-do family, you already know how to steal their money because you've done it multiple times in the past. Why would you just take as much money as you physically could and just run and flee the country? And instead try to create this crazy story and then like cross your fingers that nobody tries to peg it on you. Which then brings into question, was it really premeditated? Like, if we can't prove with any like toxicology reports that they were drugged and his his post murder sequence is really weird and it kind of seems on the fly like it really brings into question was it really premeditated because obviously in murder trials premeditation versus non-premeditation is a huge deal and so it it makes me wonder like much i mean i can't i mean he probably did think about like he, if he is battling inner voices which i'd be interested to know like did, was he ever evaluated by a psychiatrist oh i'm sure he was i there actually was an instance though so he was smart enough still to know kind of like we've seen with other serial killers in the past how to answer questions in a way to appease them basically so I guess in a, in his younger years too, when they were having issues with him and his rage and stuff like that, because obviously we, I told you a couple of stories about the warning signs. So there was a, a article that did talk about how he was told to see a psychiatrist when he was younger, but basically he was really unwilling to truly open up about anything in regards to his rage to the point that eventually it just kind of got pushed off to the side because you're like, well, we can't help him if he's not even going to, you know, if he's just going to tell us what we want to hear, basically. So I don't know if he continued through that idea and stuff, but I, I'm just going to also think too, that it kind of makes sense logically that if he was already high and drunk, that what if there was a possibility that that carried through to the following day? And that's really why his logic was not there. The whole logic behind it was just gone. So maybe that's the case too, you know, and unfortunately what if like with these like drugs that maybe he was hallucinating, what maybe he did have extreme paranoia to the sense that, like I said, it, those drugs and alcohol were his demon per se, <laughs> you know? Well, I'm wondering, and again, like this is like the seventies, so I don't know. I would have to like figure out when, how or when this would be verbiage, but it partially, it could be something along the lines of split personality disorder, and maybe that's also helping him keep so tight-lipped, mm -hmm. right? And the rage portion of him being so bottled down his entire life yeah, that it manifested itself into its own being as a protection mechanism, which is what we see a lot of when you start to research, you know, multiple personalities. Um, is a lot of times it starts off with a protection. There's a part of your brain that wants to protect you from things and it can get to a point where it totally splits off mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes from there. So I'm wondering, like, there's also that angle we can look at. But again, like, there would need to be evaluations done to, like, state that. So what the information present in front of us, there's a few different angles we can go with, but I feel like I do think he was hearing voices. He could also have been, you know, schizophrenia is a huge thing. He mm -hmm. could have been, he could have been a paranoid schizophrenic. He could have bipolar with mania. He could have a ton of things. Again, not enough evidence or not enough materials present to kind of really examine one mm -hmm. of those. But I'm going to be kind of curious too. So if anybody wants to put any comments out there too about your thoughts and theories, I may even do a little bit of a follow-up to see what all I can truly dig up on like the aftermath of it to see where I really did kind of end up with it when it comes to the psyche and like the whatever mental health issues he may have had. So if anybody has their own thoughts and theories about it or if they maybe they know, 
I'd, I'd be very curious. And like I said, I may end up doing a little follow-up blur to just kind of talk to you guys about it. Because it is, there's there's so many angles. I mean, another one, just a final one really quick was, you know, the thought too that he got into such a rage that night, whether he was drunk or not or on drugs or not. But there was a story I did one time too about the whole disassociative amnesia. So you also think about in rage too. Have you ever heard of like somebody saying like, oh, I went into a rage and all I did was see red. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, could that have been a possibility? Of course, you know, and I mean, that's how, unfortunately, he was able to kill his mother and his siblings, you know. But yeah, so I, I like to, I might actually, now that we're really talking about, because there's so many different angles, really do like a little bit of extra just to kind of follow up with you guys. But yeah, if you guys have anything, I'd really like to hear it. Now, my final bit, this is kind of the fun part. So we're really going to get into, well, how does this, translate to the Amityville horror movies. So fast forward past the crime itself, just by I think it was like a year or two, in December of 1975, George and Kathy Lutz would purchase a DeFeo home and they only lived there about 28 days, you guys. So they would eventually flee the home after just 28 days, claiming it was haunted by the spirits of the DeFeo family. Now, let me read you a little blurb here about the claims and what they included. So George claimed that a porcelain lion leapt from the corner of the living room and bit him in the ankle. George also saw a ghostly vision of Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s head floating in the cellar. George and his wife Kathy believed they saw the burned impression of a demonic hooded figure in their fireplace. Kathy levitated above their bed. Kathy looked into the mirror and saw a decrepit elderly woman looking back at her. No, thank you. The toilet's backed up with a black, smelly ooze, and the walls of the house were covered with slime. And then finally, George and Kathy would look out a living room window and saw a floating pig with yellowing red eyes. Just craziness, you know? So, madness, madness. So word spread, of course, about all these demonic things occurring in this household after these horrific murders took place. And in 1977, so two years later, author Jay Anson published a novel titled The Amityville Horror, um, basically just based off the claims made by the Lux family and then thus inspiring the movie. Uh, The only thing I would say, though, too, is I saw a bit of research in regards to the Lux family and how much validity was in their claims regarding the house. Because obviously, I know there are actually a couple of paranormal shows that you can watch that have done, because now it's like almost kind of, not really like a museum, but what do you want to say? It's like a, like a, the house itself is like, not a museum, but what am I trying to say? No, I mean, it's like, it's like a, it's like a landmark. Like, yeah, like a landmark. So you can do, think for tourism. Yeah. So you can like do investigations and whatnot there. So of course, you know, people have done like, it being related to a horror movie. People have investigated there like crazy. One person did say like a doctor that he was a well-known guy in the, the paranormal community was saying that what he has a hard time believing with the Lutz family is that when you look at all of their claims, like they're literally covering everything from like poltergeist, from demons to ghosts. Too. And it's like all of that in one house, that's kind of hard to believe. Like, that's where it's like, you know, he's like, I had a really hard time tr- trusting their word and trusting their stories and stuff because just the vast array of things that they were talking about didn't really add up. And I guess somebody had said too that uh, George Lutz himself, so the, the, the man of the house that purchased the house, um, had been digging into witchcraft and the occult okay. and the occult uh, of course because everyone always connects that kind of shit back to satan because this is also because i think maybe it was the 80s when the satanic panic happened the 80s i think so but regardless this is just one of those other extra things it's like Ziggy's are talking about hooded figures and flying pigs yep ooze and you know old ladies it's like yeah yeah so i think he just maybe george lutz had like a fascination with all this kind of stuff and wanted some sort of fame from it i don't know 
by the way, he got it because the whole the movie franchise came from it. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, that was my story for you guys. The Amityville Horror House. It is a real place. It maybe oh, also if you've ever been, please also let us know about that and what your experience was. Did you feel anything paranormal there? Did you not? Did you see any pigs? Did you see any flying pigs? I also hear um, that there is a little boy that you can see on the stairs. Because I, I saw this one documentary about people who made the movies. Mm-hmm. And they're like, the movies are bad luck. Like, bad things always happen to people that make those movies. And they, one of the people, they were actually in the house filming. And they were just like, we heard things. Life's turned on and off. And like, I'm sure you can Google it. We'll, fi- we'll find it. We'll put it up. We'll, we'll put it up on the on the Instagrams. But um, there's an iconic picture of a little boy, like, through... I think that the beams in the staircase and you can like see him clear as day. And I think it's like one of his brothers. Maybe the little one, John Matthews, was only nothing. Mm-hmm. That's sad. It's actually really scary. <laughs> like it's a really creepy picture. Oh, we'll definitely have to post the things. It's a really, it's a really iconic picture. Yeah. So before I go, you guys, I just want to quickly cite my sources. Um, Doris, you'll be very proud of me. So he's one of her favorite sources ever, which is Murderpedia. Classic. Also, I could not use one of my favorite sources at all that is interesting. There's an article there by Aaron Kelly. And finally, there was Investigation Discovery. They had a nice article, too, um, by Aaron Rasmussen. So those were the three that I use. Like I said, I know there is a ton more that I could have done regarding this, but I didn't want to make it extremely long and drawn out. So I will do some follow-up stuff for you guys to know. Like I said, we we have our theories, and I just kind of want to see what what came of it. So... But yeah, thanks, you guys. Beautifully done. You can find us on Instagram at TAKTV Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch. And you can also email us at TAKTPodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on YouTube, obviously, if you're watching this. And check that out. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers my dears. <laughs>